You're listening to a podcast from River City Church of Jacksonville, Florida. For more audio and video podcasts, visit rccjacks.com. Okay, so we're on this um, series of the Prodigal Son. And uh, last week I gave an overview of that series. And I said it would be better to be called the parable of the two lost sons because there are two sons in the story. We focus on the one who wanders off and sins like a banshee and lives in wildness and then comes home to the father, the prodigal. But the other son is very important too. And so I'm going to be talking about him next week. And then Tom will be talking about the father's love on Easter and the redemptive process of the father. And so next, this week, the prodigal uh, son. Next week, the eldest son. Um, I was thinking and praying about this parable, and uh, there's just so much in it. We're not going to be able to cover it all, but uh, I, it, it took me back for some reason. I was praying about it um, to Psalm 63, 1 to 3, and we, start, we talked about this a few weeks ago. And, uh, it was that verse that I showed you how to meditate on it, but um, the Lord has brought it to my heart, and I read it, and I felt like, man, this is the reason that Jesus tells this story, and so um, we're going to read it right now. It says this, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water, so I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. Let me just pray. Father, we thank you. Um, that as we find ourselves in a dry and weary place, that you meet us and that you quench our thirst and that you feed our faith and our flesh. Father, we pray that your spirit would come this morning and speak to those who are here this morning that don't know you and um, that they would come to know you. And, And we pray for those in our church that do know you but have wandered away from you that your Holy Spirit would come and open our eyes and our hearts to receive this truth and hope. In Jesus' name, amen. And so David says, my soul is thirsty, my flesh faints, I'm in a dry and weary land. And this is the life of every single human being ever since the fall, ever since sin entered the world. We all find ourselves at one time or another in a dry and a weary land, a place where we are empty, where we are broken, where we feel hopeless, where we are weary, we're tired, and we're worn out. David feels this same thing. His son, Absalom, is chasing him with the Israelite, his, his own army, to kill him. That's how, Dave, that's how David is approaching what he says. And so he, he feels this around him, He's in a cave in the middle of the desert, and he writes this to encourage us. He writes this as a cry to the Lord. He turns to the Father, and David remembers his sanctuary. You see, David wasn't a Levite, and so David would have gazed upon the sanctuary from outside of it, and he would have seen God's glory in the sanctuary. He would have seen God's beauty in the sanctuary, and he remembers this, and it gives him hope. He remembers this, and then he remembers the Father's steadfast love for him, and he praises him, and he worships him, and he finds hope as he finds himself in this dry 
and weary place. That's what we're created for. We're created when we find ourselves in these dry and weary places to turn to Jesus, to turn to our Father in heaven, to become who he created us to be, to rescue us, to be satisfied by him, for our dreams to come true with him, the desires that he has planted in our heart would be fulfilled by him, and that we would see his power move through us. We would see his glory and his beauty, and like David, we would be drawn to worship him. There's a song that uh, I felt really captured this, and we're going to put the lyrics up and just play the first verse in chorus. And it's by a writer named, I think his name is Sean Combs. And uh, I didn't know who this was, and so I began to do a little research on it. And, uh, and a, a rapper, P. Diddy, kept coming up, right? And I was like, this surely, this doesn't sound like him singing. He just doesn't. And, and so I, I kept doing some more research and some more research. And, I, and, and sure enough, this is his song. Uh, and and I, I was amazed at these lyrics. Whenever you read and hear these lyrics sung, it's a worship song. They talk about raising their hands. They talk about being lost and coming home. I mean, it perfectly fits this talk. It perfectly fits this idea of us realizing who we are and becoming who we are and the Father washing our sins away and us coming into his kingdom. And so we're just gonna play the first verse and chorus of this song. I have, I have the lyrics up on the screen for those of us that are a little older and we can't understand him at some points. And, uh, and so here we go. Let's watch this and listen to it. Here we go. I mean, that's a worship song. That is a, a song about the desire our father has to come home. That we would know our pain is washed away and that there's a kingdom that awaits for us, that our, our sin, that we've been forgiven of our mistakes. And his desire is that we would come home, that we would come home, that we would be back where we belong and that we would become strong in our Lord. And that if you believe this, put your hands up high and let's worship like David did. I mean, that, what an amazing lyric. Now, the rest of the song, don't hold me accountable to, especially the explicit version, right? <laughs> especially high schoolers and middle schoolers. Just listen to this on repeat, the first part on repeat. But Jesus tells us these stories and parables because we forget. We forget who we are or we don't know who Jesus is. And so he tells us these things to remind us of God's love for us. You know that, that song, oh, he, uh, oh, how he loves us. 
that, that, that his love is so great that we bend beneath it. It's overwhelming to us. And so Jesus tells this story to us to remind us that only when we turn to him will we be fully satisfied. Only when we turn to him will we become who he's created us to be, will our desires be fulfilled. The thirst and the hunger that we feel in a dry and weary place will only be satisfied as we come home to him. So he tells a story of two brothers. And in this story, one of the brothers, the younger brother, which is what we're gonna focus, who we're going to focus on today, he, um, he gets tired. He gets tired of living under the father's rule. And uh, he goes to the father and he asks for his inheritance. And the father gives it to him. And then it says that he goes off into a country and he spends it. He blows it on wild living. And he blows it on prostitutes. He blows it on... Yeah, just if you can imagine, the wildest life possible. And um, it says that that land goes into a famine, and he has to find a job because he's run out of money. And he found a job feeding pigs. And while he was feeding pigs, it says that he was hungry, and he desired to eat the corn cobs that he was feeding the pigs. And no one would give him any. And so it says he came to his senses, and he remembered um, that even his father's hired hands got fed food and were taken care of. And so he says, I know what I'll do. I'll make this speech to my father, tell him that uh, I've sinned against him, I've sinned against the family and the community, and uh, I'm sorry, will you take me back as a hired hand? And so he makes up this speech, he comes home, and when the father sees him far off, the father starts to run towards him. And he tries to give his speech, and the father overwhelmingly, uh, with his love, says, bring him the finest robe, bring him a ring, the family ring, and put it on his finger. For my son that was lost is now found. The rest of the story is about the elder brother, and I'm going to talk about that next week. Um, But this week, I want to focus on the younger brother and how we all, at times, are the younger brother. Next week, I'll show you that at times, we're also the eldest brother. And so what happens is, um, this younger brother has been working his whole life for his dad. And he gets tired. He gets tired of being under his father's authority. He gets tired of serving the father. He gets tired of all the work, day in and day out. And he feels these longings. He gets weary of this. He gets tired of this. And he feels these longings. And in his head, he believes the lie that I can go find life somewhere else, a life that is better than a life with my father. And so he goes to his father and he asks for his inheritance, right? Which is basically like him saying to the father, because when do you get your inheritance? Whenever your father dies, right? And so by him going to his father and asking for his inheritance while he's alive, It's like him saying to his father, I wish you were dead. Give me what is mine now. I wish you were dead. And the father, the word here that talks about him dividing, what he divides up would be his real estate, his land. 
And so the oldest brother back in the day uh, would get two-thirds of the inheritance and the younger brother a third. And so he was asking for his third, his kind of piece of the pie, which would have required his father to sell off a third of his land. And back then, your land had a lot to do with your identity, right? And so he would ask his father to sell off his land, knowing that this was going to shame his father in the community, knowing that this was going to cost his father um, privilege in the community, and that the community would scorn him. This community would look at him like he was crazy. But he does it. The father, normally in that situation, a father would have thrown his son out of the family, would have disowned him. But the father, because of his love for him, gives him what the son asks. And the father absorbs the rejection, the shame, and the pain of his son leaving. He does this because he loves the son so much. And I think that we all come to this place in different ways and at different times in our life when we feel like the younger brother. And uh, we feel tired, we feel lonely, we feel lost. We might feel angry at our situations in life. We might feel desperate because we don't have money or we've run out of money. We might feel frustrated and adequate because we don't have a job that can provide for our families. But we find ourselves in this dry and this weary land. And we begin to believe the lie like this son did. Like, I need to take control of my life. I need to take control. And if that requires that I turn away from God, then I'm going to turn away from God. And we don't mean to do that. It just kind of slowly happens. And it's a reflection of our mistrust of the Father and his ability to take care of us and provide for us. And this happens, this happens with believers, people who already know Jesus, but it also happens with non-believers, people who don't know Jesus. And I want to talk about, with non-believers, uh, what this looks like. Um, first of all, a non-believer who's living his life for himself and not God, um, is doing it because he doesn't know anything or she doesn't know anything else to do. Uh, Unlike David, they've never beheld the beauty and the glory of God. They've never experienced the Father's love. They've never been inside the sanctuary to know that there is more life, right? And so what they do is they act to the best of their ability in a way that they think will give them life. And I'm going to teach one week on why lost, the lost non-believer has a hard time coming to church. But the central point of that, the, the reason is because we look at the non-believer who doesn't know any better and we judge them. We judge them. And we tell them and communicate them in various ways that you need to get your life cleaned up before you can come and be a part of our family. And that's basically the story of the elder brother, and I'll unpack that next week. But this is um, some scripture that demonstrates the place of a non-believer. This is Romans 7, 5. For while we were living in the flesh, while we were non-believers, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Before we were believers, we see God's law, 
We see God's law, God's standard, and it awakes within us a desire to disobey the Father. So the law, when we see God draw a line in the sand and we don't belong to him, we are drawn to cross the line, right? How many of you have children or have had children or were children and as a parent you would say, don't you touch that or don't you go there or don't you do this? And what does your son or daughter do? If you say like, don't cross this, they're like, What is that? That is the law rising up in them and them wanting to break it. Justice and the knowledge of good is born into us, right? And so when we see God communicate to us, to the lost, what his standard is and what his law is, what, what, what Paul is saying here, it, our, our sinful desires to take care of ourselves, to rebel against God, rise up within us, and we begin to act on those things and disobey God. And it says that that kind of behavior, the fruit of that kind of life, leads to death. Leads to death. And so with our son or daughter, we say, hey, don't pick up that toy. And they're like, and they show it to us. That's one thing. But what if we say, don't go in the street? And they go in the street and they're killed. That's a better picture of what's happening here. We tell them something, their disobedience arises within them. They act out on their sinful desires to disobey us, and it leads to death. That's what Paul's saying to us here. That's where the non-believer lives their life and why they pursue and do the things that are not consistent with God's law. Because they can't help it. They can't help it. But then Paul says this a little later, when God steps in, the loving Father steps in, and it says this, and this is 8.3, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, okay? Weakened by our flesh, we can't do the law. God sees this, and he sends his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, in the likeness of who we are, just like we are. He sins in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sins. He sends us, he sends him like us to deal with the sin in us. He condemns the sin in the flesh so that we could be set free from the sin of our flesh. It is only in Jesus Christ, as the Father, as he gives, as the Father gives us Jesus Christ to take care of our sin, that we have any hope, any hope at experiencing the life that the Father has for us. Jesus comes, fulfills the law, and conquers sin as a man, is crucified on the cross so that we can have life. We can have the opportunity to receive life. That's what Easter's about. That's what the Resurrection Sunday is about that we're going to talk about in two weeks. But we still have to, the lost person still has to receive the gift of Jesus and what he's done for them to receive the life, to become a part of the family. And so this happens in lots of ways. And we know people that this has happened to. I, we got an email just the other day from someone in our church. I don't know. I can't remember who they were. But um, I was doing a series on prayer, right? And, and didn't even talk about like coming to Jesus or knowing Jesus or anything. And uh, they were in here 
their sister, I think, told them to come. And they're sitting there listening to the messages. And they went home and actually did what I said, which is very unusual, right? <laughs> and they did. And so they, they started praying, right? And God started answering all their prayers. And through that, they realized that God loved them, that God cared for them, that God wanted to restore them and wanted him to come into their family. And they gave their life to Jesus Christ. I mean, it's amazing how the spirit moves. And it's only in the presence that we remember. It's only as the spirit moves. If God moves towards us, that we can then move towards him. And so this happens through sermons like this, right? It happens in our worship time. It happens at work when you meet people and you're the one who tells them about Jesus. It happens whenever we don't expect it to happen. And God just shows up and whammies us with his spirit, and we have an expression and feel an expression of the Father's love for us, and we turn to him. We turn to him. We come home to him. But what about the Christian? What and who do we turn to? And why would we go anywhere else but to the Father after we have experienced his love for us? And so we're like David. We've beheld the beauty of God. We've beheld the glory of God. We've experienced the power of God in our life, right? And so when we find our place in the dry and weary land, why wouldn't we turn to God? And we, and, and most of us usually do, but at times, again, in our life, each one of us has turned away from God. And we've gone to the things of the world. We've gone to the people of the world. We've gone to these other things to fulfill our desires that our flesh is craving for and, that our, and, and, and to quench the thirst that our soul has. And the core and the reason that we do that is for the same, is, is for the, just like the younger brother in the parable, is that he doesn't trust the father. Or we forget, unlike David, of our experience of his love for us, his beauty and his power worked out in our life. We forget our temple experiences. And when we feel like we're in a dry and weary place, we turn back to the world, back to what is familiar to meet our desires. And again, we don't, this just happens a little bit at a time. And we're slowly lulled to sleep, is what C.S. Lewis says. We're slowly lulled to sleep in a sea of complacency. And we look up, and the Father is nowhere. We don't feel his presence. We have lost what feels like his love. Galatians 5, 1, 7 and 8 says this. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. So this is what Paul's saying. He says, you were running so well. You were running so well. You were with the Lord. You're experiencing his beauty and his power and his grace and his mercy. You were running with him. Who persuaded you? What persuaded you to turn back to the things that you were set free from? Why are you looking over your shoulder at the life that you once had and believing that there is more there? than what the Father promises to give us. 
I think the people around us have influence in our life, and they persuade us to turn away. I think that the devil persuades us to turn away by his lies that he whispers to us. I think the world and the sparkly goodness that we see in the world affects our heart and causes us to turn away from the Father and be persuaded that there's more for us that in this dry and weary land. Yes, we have God, but we, 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 we can also have the world. I can also have the world. I can also be drawn into the things of the world because, man, God will forgive me. There's grace for that. You know, there's um, people that I meet in my line of business, right, that, uh, that come to me and um, they say things like this. They say things like this that kind of makes the point I'm making. They say things like this. They go, Antley, will God love me? And there's always an if. Will God love me if I don't tithe? Will God love me if I have sex with my girlfriend? Will God love me if I cheat on my test in high school and middle school? Will God love me if I date two girls at once or date two boys at once? Will God love me if I have an affair? Will God love me? Will God love me? Will God love me? And what they're asking is, in the midst of of experiencing God's beauty and knowing his love, is it okay that I turn back to the world and just get enslaved a little bit? Can I have both, Antley? And then I say something like this. I don't know if this is right. I mean, I'm doing the best I can. I think this is how I feel like the Father feels for me when I jack it up. When I slide away from him, But I think this is biblical. I do think it's right. And and this is what I say. God will always love you. But why would you take all that he has given you and turn away from him? Those things will never give you the life that he has promised to give you. When you, when when they say that to me, I'm just like, you've experienced God's love. You've experienced his mercy. You've experienced his grace. You've experienced his goodness. You have beheld him in the sanctuary. You know his beauty and his power and his glory. Why would you, why would you take all that? The inheritance. Why would you take your inheritance and turn away from him? Turn away from him. Because like the prodigal, and this is what I know, like the prodigal, you will be unsatisfied. What you think will satisfy you won't. You'll come to your senses and you'll come home. I know, Antley, but I'm lonely. I'm afraid. I'm a dry and weary land. People have hurt me. I have unforgiveness because I can't forgive that person. And so the father will let us go like he did the prodigal son. He will let you take all the blessings that he has given you. But when you come to your senses, the Father will welcome you back. And that is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is how it happens, or this is how we prevent it from happening as we follow Jesus. We see David, right? 
And David looks upon the sanctuary, and he beholds God's power. He beholds God's beauty. He, he beholds his awesomeness and his glory in every sense. But those are not the things that cause him to worship. What the scripture says is that he remembers God's steadfast love for him. And then he turns to praise him. It's out of worship that we remember the Father's love for us. It's out of scripture that we remember the Father's love for us. It's out and through the Spirit that we remember the Father's love for us. And when we're reminded of the Father's love for us, we will then turn from the things that we are worshiping, the created things, and turn back to the Creator and realize that the Father is so good. says this in Luke 5, 17 to 19. It makes this point. It says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And so this is literally what happens is he is in the midst of, he is covered with pig poo, right? He is covered with pig poo. He's starving. He's wanting to eat the food of the pigs. And it says he came to his senses. He remembered how good his father is. He remembered how his father loved him. And not only him, how his father loved and took care of, of, of not only the servants that, wa- that worked on the grounds, but his hired hands. A hired hand didn't even live on the property, A hired hand lived off the property. And so what he's saying is maybe my father will take me on as a hired hand so that I can begin to work off the debt that I took from him with his inheritance. So that's what's going on in the son's mind. I'm going to work this off. I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to go ask for forgiveness. I'm going to go do this. So then the father will take me back. And we can relate to this as well, can't we? We screw up, we mess up, we backslide. And all of our stories would be different, right? Because of the struggles and the hungers of our heart, the places that we've come from. And we realize, we come to our senses, what the heck am I doing? What am I doing? And we're reminded of how good the Father is. We're reminded of of where we've come from. And, and, and just like the prodigal son, we think, oh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this more. I'm going to read the Bible more. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to ask for people forgiveness. I'm going to hand out tracts at my high school or middle school about how good God is. I'm going to bring my Bible to school so people see it and they know I'm for real with Jesus, right? I'm going to worship more. I'm going to soak every day. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. When I go to a restaurant, I'm going to put a I'm going to put a note on the, on, on the receipt that says, this is your tip. It's the best tip you'll ever get. Don't ever do that. If you do that, I'm pretty sure you're going to have to answer to Jesus for it. I don't know. But we do, we say like the prodigal son, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And what we're trying to do, we're living back under the law. We're, we've become a slave again, even though it looks like we're doing good things. What we're saying to the father is, I need to do this to come back to you. But that's not what the story demonstrates, does it? The only thing that he had to do, that the prodigal did and that we have to do, is turn back to the father. 
We're facing this way. Pigs, slop. Mm, 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 mm. And we go like, what the heck am I doing? Right? What the heck am I doing? Or maybe we're drinking a fifth every night. Mm, mm, mm. This is yummy. Or maybe we're having sex with our girlfriend or boyfriend. Mm, mm, mm. I really like this. This is good. Or maybe we're, you know, the list goes on and on. We come to our senses and we think, well, I got to do this. I got to do that to come back to the father. But all the father requires to come home is to turn. It's to turn and come back to him. How do we know this? Because as he's walking home, he is stinking like pig's poop. He smells of the world. The father sees him. Before he can do anything, the father sees him in the distance. And the father runs to him. He doesn't let him get his speech out before he says, my son's come home, get the finest robe, put the ring on his finger. He begins to give his speech, but it doesn't matter. The father has already forgiven him. The father has already demonstrated, you have come home. You are again a part of my family. I love you. You know, we tell this story and we think, man, this is crazy. This is crazy that a father would love his son so much. That a father would let his son get away with this wild living and spending his inheritance. And a misteaching of this scripture is this. Well, see, man, the father loves everyone. The father loves everyone. He takes everyone back. Doesn't matter what your sin is. You know, it's love, love, love. But I'll tell you this, there was a price to pay. There was a price to pay for the son to come home. It wasn't a price that the son paid, but it was a price that Jesus paid. And again, I'm going to unpack that when I talk about the elder son next week. But the ability for the son to come home and for the father to love him and welcome him without him having to do anything but turn was because of the work of Jesus Christ. And him dealing with that son's sin, dealing with his, turning his back from him so that he can come home. There's nothing better than this, is there? There's nothing more radical than this, is there? And this is what, this is what our church is really known for. God restoring and reminding people that he is not mad with you. He is not sad. He is not disappointed. He is not angry. He is just glad that you've turned back to him and that you have come home. So many and so much of our ministry time is reminding people and, of how the Father sees them and what the Father wants to do in their life, that he wants to bless them. He wants to put the robe of righteousness on you, the finest robe. He wants to throw a party that you were lost and now that you've come back and you are found that you are part of his family again because he loves you. He loves to take care of you. He loves to plant dreams in your heart that will come true. He loves that you'll become who he created you to be. He loves that you will feel forgiven, that the weight of shame and lostness that you've been carrying will be gone, will be gone. That the lies of the enemy that you believed about who you are will be broken. And you will live the free life that Christ has died to give you for freedom. Christ has set you free. And the yoke of slavery that you had fallen back into is no longer because of Jesus Christ. 
The invitation is to come home. So we're going to stand now. And this is kind of, when I finished writing this talk or working on this talk, I realized this is the same talk I did last week. It's an invitation to come home. For the lost, it might, you might be sitting there and you might have realized the Spirit might have moved in your heart during this talk and you want to come to Jesus, maybe for the first time. You want to trust Jesus with your life. Or maybe you're not sure about everything that he offers you, but you know that what you've been dabbling in the world with, what you've been seeking to find life with in the world has, lo- have, has left you lonely, has left you broken, has left you angry, has left you disappointed. And you feel this emptiness and you're wondering, how can I get rid of this emptiness in my life and this, this, this crappy feeling that I have? This purposelessness. Like, how do I, what do I do? And this morning is an opportunity for you to come and see what God has for you. Come and see if this is true. Come and and, and just experience. Come and ask God to tell you, your father, is this true? Is this the truth? Could this be really true that I just have to turn and come to you and my heart will be restored My life will feel complete. I invite you to come forward if that's you. But I also invite those of us who have turned away and we've been spending time in the world and believing the lie that we can have both. To come back, to turn towards the Father again and receive all that he has for you. Again, this is what we see every Sunday, and and this is one of those opportunities that we give um, where I would challenge you and ask you this question. Why wouldn't you want more of the Father's love? Why wouldn't you want to turn and bring whatever is hindering you from experiencing more of his love? Bring it to him. All you have to do is turn to him. That's it. Turn to him. Yield to him. Open your heart to receive what he has for you. And so if you would like to receive more of the Father's love, if you would like to bring to him what is preventing you from him, come forward. If you're lost and you've never known him, come forward.